since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. Hi, Maiden. I'm Lindsay. And this is the Big Spot. And today we are here, and presumably you are here, to listen to us talk about... Much Ado. Much Ado About, about nothing. nothing. Yes. Um, this is one of Aiden's favorite plays. All time. Um, I I thought it was because he he liked the feisty spirit of Beatrice so much, but I think it's just because Emma Thompson plays Beatrice in the 1993 film adaptation directed by her then-husband, Kenneth Branagh. Uh that is partly true. It is, <laughs> I fell in love with Beatrice after she played Beatrice. So, yes, mm. uh, it is kind of a, a nice chicken and egg scenario. There. But you love her mind. I Beatrice's do. mind is... I love her wit. I yes. love... It. She's like, uh, for West Wing fans, she's like the Supreme CJ Court Craig. Justice oh, that Josh CJ. talks about when he loves everything about her. Glenn he Close? Glenn Close. He loves her shoes. He loves everything. That's how I feel about Beatrice, especially when played by. I, I thought I thought you were going to say CJ, but that's fine. I do love CJ almost yeah. as much, almost as much. But you know, the this Supreme, is, as this a is Supreme next Court level. judge who was in one episode. Yes, yes. yes. Okay, now that we completely <laughs> derailed our intro entirely. Um, uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's start off with yeah. the, the customary thirty second plot synopsis just to get everyone up to speed. Um, yeah. Lindsay, it's your turn. Yeah, I have thirty seconds on the clock. Let me know when. I'm ready. Ready and go. So rich guy comes to town, matchmakes two different couples, tries to get them together. Um, his bastard half-brother tries to ruin the lives of uh, everybody he comes into contact with. Everybody thinks everybody is sleeping with everybody else, but nobody is sleeping with anybody. And uh, a marriage almost happens and lies are revealed. And then the lies are proven to be lies and m- people fall in love. A marriage happens. Everybody lives happily ever after the end. And I have two seconds left on the clock. One second. Done. Not too bad. Very impressive. I know. It's because I practiced. I didn't just Obviously, yeah, yeah. You can tell because, you know, your plot synopsis made sense and didn't spend 20 seconds, uh, you know, restating the beginning of the play. Or trying to remember the names. As happens, happens to with me. you. Yes, yes, all the time. I'm going to call Claudio like six different names this time because he's such a forgettable character. <laughs> I've never committed his name to memory. So that, um, look forward to that uh, this this next uh, few minutes here. So yeah, much ado about nothing. Uh, let's do just a brief yeah. the history of yeah. the, the play. It was written in about 1598, 1599, um, based on probably some Northern Italian source material for most of it, such as, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, Orlando Furioso by Ludovico Ariosto, mm-hmm. um, which features a scene with, you know, uh, obviously mixed up identities, which were very popular in Italian drama and literature at the time, but also a servant being seen at the window and being mistaken for the mm-hmm. love interest, which is what happens with Claudio and Hero yeah. in this play. Um, Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen also features some some things that are brought into this play. But interestingly enough, the characters of Beatrice and Benedict, who... Uh, while their story might have been inspired by the, you know, other other types of characters, we've seen them already in Kate and Petruchio, for example, in The Taming of the Shrew, mm. 10 years earlier. Yeah. Um, those were created by Shakespeare for this play. Yeah. Um, at least as far as the 
the research that I was able to uncover. Yeah, shows. And, and that was that's one of the more interesting parts of it is the fact that this this dynamic uh, didn't really exist in quite the same way until this play. Really, this this idea of like the bickering couple who fall in love with each other's minds yeah. primarily above all else and find each other so well suited because mm-hmm. they can disagree with each other so yeah. warmly yeah. and playfully and equally. still and equally <laughs> yeah exactly there, there's a real sense of equality between these two characters yeah. they both give as good as they get everything is kind of ni- nicely balanced there's there's some asymmetry in how uh beatrice is talked about uh by the other characters um but for the most part that whole dynamic really didn't exist before this play. It really kind of set the standard for every time you have a rom-com with two smart cracking characters, it comes back to 1598 <laughs> and Shakespeare in this play. And that, well, that's I mean, it's, crazy. it's, it's like I said, he did play around with this idea with mm-hmm. um, the taming of the shrew, but it's, well, that that's had, meaner. Yeah. It's a little more cruel. There's, um, a, a rudimentary quality to that relationship. Yes. It's still fun. It's still interesting, but it's not Beatrice and Benedict, right? Yeah. Like these two really do match wits in a way that no other pairing in all of the Shakespearean canon really have a chance to do. Yeah. And and that's not to say that the only reason that two people can be together is if they match wits, but it is a step towards a kind of equality between the genders and marriage equality, which we're going to get to um, in the rest of our episode here. Yeah. Uh, performance history, I guess this play has been continually popular from the minute it was written, with yep. the exception of the Puritan Revolution. Obviously. Um, <laughs> but as soon as the as soon as the theaters reopened, I think sixteen sixty something. 1662. Yeah. 1662. So the, the revolution, the, the monarchy was restored in 1660. 1662, they're putting this play back on again. Yeah. So it was like no time at all. Everybody has loved this play since the minute it was written. And it has been, um, there's, a, there's a long history of, you know, famous couples playing Beatrice and Benedict. Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, Ellen Terry and Henry Irving played ah, yes. on, the, on the stage. And uh, obviously we talked about Ken and M, who played in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so it's it's kind of a a classic play that has never really lost its popularity. And even though it is as we remarked when we were watching the film, it feels very Italian, like it's set in Italy, it feels very much of that place and time. Uh, there have been some modern adaptations of the of the play that are set in like Messina High School mm-hmm. or a modern day newsroom, I think I read there was a, a was it a TV show or something from 2005 or a film from 2005 okay. that like set it in a newsroom, yeah. which. Yeah, like, it yeah. would work quite well for any kind of workplace, really. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. They're, they're colleagues first and lovers soon thereafter. And that, that, yeah. that again is such a common trope too. Like the, the friends or the enemies to lovers yes. trope, which, I mean, if you, if you read romance novels or if you read fanfic, <laughs> that's one of the most popular tropes for, exactly. to write about. And that's what you have here. These two are, although I guess technically they were lovers first and then they became enemies and well, then they became lovers we again. We should talk about that a little bit because I, I, I've read that in the past and the text has kind of a passing mention of a previous relationship. It's never like, oh yeah, she wronged me or anything like that. There's, there's kind of her mentioning... Uh, you know, I gave my heart to him and he gave yeah. back. That's kind of the extent of it as far as I could tell. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Well, that I think that says all that needs to be said, doesn't it? 
Yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's depending on how you deliver that speech, it could be like, oh, I gave him my heart, ha ha ha. But it was mm-hmm. like I think most most productions I've seen have played it as like, yes, they did have some sort of previously amorous relationship, um, and uh, and this is now just like the, the the after kind of thought of of this is the fallout of that that relationship having gone bad. Yeah, um, is what we see at the start of the play, but. Um, you could view it as just they've always been like bickering friends. They've been the the ones who just you know can never get along and never had that relationship. Um, I never. I, I think you're the only person I've ever heard to okay. say that. Okay, it's just okay. Uh, I I'm surprised that I just was not expecting that. Why? That I don't know because it just seemed very <laughs> obvious to me that they had a a previous relationship. See, I've. An, Nah, when I was reading it, especially the, I was like, oh no, these are just two people who love to argue with one another more than anything else, much like us. I, I could <laughs> see this also just, uh, as soon as you said that, I was, I was reminded of like, maybe a legal drama, like the prosecution <laughs> attorney yes, and, and the, the defense, the, the defense the lawyer, defense. yeah, yeah. You know? It could be. That could work, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway. Have it be cowards! So one last area that we should talk about before we jump into the main issues of the play is the title itself. Um, Mm -hmm. So Shakespeare's comedies tend to have these very flippant kind of dismissive titles. Um, Twelfth Night was originally called uh, What You Will, Mm -hmm. As You Like It, just whatever, call it whatever you want, as you like it. (laughs) Um, And this one, Much Ado About Nothing, I mean, it's it's kind of, it is another one of those just dismissive titles. This is... Uh, more directly referencing what's happening in the play yeah. in one instance or one case um, it's it's nothing nothing happens in the play nothing yeah. of, of great consequence happens it's not like uh, it's not a tragedy where there's some great big high stakes there's no grand battles being fought nope. um, this is all about love and and really the only thing that's hurt is pride for for most yeah. people in the play there's not really any big stakes no right? nothing literally nothing changes even except for the benedict beatrice kind of engagement there uh you know claudio loves hero and hero loves claudio basically right from the start and that is also how it ends uh i, I suppose you could argue that claudio maybe maybe learns a lesson in trusting I, the women in his I, life maybe sure no? i mean I don't know. yeah it's so quick quickly wrapped yeah. up at the end it's kind of hard to say but yeah i mean you're right this uh, is, we, we learned that don john is a jackass <laughs> and he is banished or whatever but again he was he, we he knew was up front about that at the beginning yes, too so yeah nothing really happens nothing really happens um but a second consideration when it comes to the title is um is the fact that as we've talked about on the podcast before the pronunciation of certain words were um were not the same as how we pronounce them now. Mm. And so the word nothing sounded a lot more like noting. And that's something that Shakespeare plays with in the language quite a bit. Um, to refer to noting as as taking note of what other people are doing or saying or um, what you're hearing, um, possibly noting in terms of musical notation. There's uh, one very prominent song, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on, that... Um, we should maybe take note of so noting much ado about noting Mm -hmm. everybody in this play is reacting to things that they hear or see um that either they shouldn't be seeing or that they're being manipulated into seeing so well the whole you know capturing of the uh the uh, bad guys yeah. as word conrad and and the other guy by dogberry and and team you know like that whole thing like note that i'm an ass like you know there's there's that too you know even that 
plot. Yeah, and, drive, I, and I think by. I think one of Don Pedro's last lines is something about there's th- note noting and nothing are all used in the same line. I think mm. or something. Um, I don't remember exactly, but it's like that. That's definitely something that Shakespeare wants us to focus on, and we know that he likes to play with language. So that's. I mean, a, a fairly solid interpretation of the title. Yep. Um, one that maybe is a little less solid, um, that's come under some scrutiny and is a little bit um, controversial, is the uh, the slang term for vagina, mm-hmm. which um, was an, an O thing or a nothing. So much ado about nothing could be much ado about vaginas, mm-hmm. um, which is um, an interesting way of, of looking at the play because... Um, it really is about vaginas, isn't yeah, it? It's about really women. Is. If you if you reduce women to their um, <laughs> primary sexual, sexual organs, yes. um, <laughs> they uh, they really are the center of the play, and it mm-hmm. kind of gives them a, a, a power almost, which really they have already. Um, it's women who direct the course of the play, whether they love somebody back or whether they. Um, it's it's yeah. kind of about them. A little bit. I mean, there's 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 definitely you know there's the courting going on that kind of happens off stage mm-hmm. between uh, Don Pedro and and Hero, um, and then there's the whole uh, Benedict kind of changing his mind around women. Yeah. They're, they're, but it is centered around the women of the play. I mean, Hero obviously, yeah. uh, you know, is the wronged woman, uh, and Claudio's obsession with her chastity, uh, and well, the whole societies and everything's yeah. obsession with her chastity, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a strange kind of uh, fascination with the women in the play, written from mostly the men's point of view. Yeah. Um, and then you have like Hero has like half a dozen lines, especially yeah. in the the ninety three version that we watched. It was we got know, like halfway through, and I'm like, like, has she has spoken she anything yet at all? Yet? And uh, yeah, so like it, it it is interesting. And then there's there's uh, all the talking about women. You know, it's a lot of like, oh, well, we saw her in the yes. in the, the um, in her window, and and you know, it's just a, a preoccupation with women. Yes, and what women are doing or not doing how they're behaving, what their sexual uh, status is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and note I didn't say marriageable status because it's it's from the very beginning when we were first introduced to Hero, her parentage is questioned, which yeah. is such an odd thing. When I first read it, I'm like, wow, that's a, that's that's a, a weird rude thing to, thing say, to yeah. say right in front of your daughter. Well, her mother tells me she's mine. Like, And even Benedict comments on it. He's like, yeah. well, like, did she give you reason to think she <laughs> yeah, wasn't? Yeah. And like, it's it's all talking about... And, and this is a woman who's not even present. This is this is Hero's mother. She's not even in the play. No. And, and she's being talked about in the very first scene, you know? Um, and it's it's based on, on her, 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 her sexual like her her sexual chastity or um uh, fidelity fidelity yeah, thank you is yeah. being called into question mm-hmm. from go like yeah. it's it's wild it is to but, s- just kick off the play like that way and then it never really deviates from that no <laughs> not at point. all that's so, that's yeah. that's the theme of the play right <laughs> well i mean really it's it's a play about men and women and the yeah. supposed differences between them yeah and um and that's i think uh, as good as any yeah, Maybe that's what I should have said theme, as yeah. my my thirty second summary. <laughs> yes. Just this is a play about men and women and how they're not different at all. Yeah, but really they're very different, but they're not different. Yeah, the end. Right? No, that would be. You got it down to five seconds. That would have been very impressive. <laughs> um, so, you know, as we've done in previous 
uh, podcast episodes, we kind of looked at the play in terms of big themes. There's like four really big themes that we kind of want to touch on and we'll riff on things as we go. But the first one is kind of deception and lies. And how, um, as I mentioned in my intro, everyone is lying. Nobody is telling the truth. But what's interesting is that even though everybody is lying... The people who are lied to are kind of shocked that they were lied to. It's like it's like nobody. Every, I think everybody's lying, and everybody thinks they're the only one who's yeah, lying, yeah. and everybody else is truthful, which is another kind of deception. I, it's it's yeah. it's interesting. Like Claudio, for example, um, spends a lot of the play lying, or or a, a very key pivotal scene anyway, lying to kind of lying to Benedict about mm-hmm. Beatrice. But when he's lied to twice, both about Hero's chastity, um, the first time by Don, well, both times by Don John, but the first time um, convincing her that, uh, or convincing him that she doesn't love him, that she's actually in love with his, with Don Pedro, and the second time that she's stripping, uh, what's his name? Baratheo or whatever? Baracchio? 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 Rocky. Rocky. We're going to call him Rocky. Um, <laughs> like, uh, he just goes with it. Like, he doesn't, Both he can't even I imagine think. that somebody might be lying to him about this. <laughs> this is a woman that he's going to marry, and he can't for a minute, think like, to, like muster up, yeah, yeah, muster like, up the courage to defend her, to believe her, to ask her, to ask like, her a, a hey? single thing. That that's another thing that Hero and Claudio exchange like two words. That's yeah. it. Like they do not talk for a play that is so focused on language and communication. Yeah. Those two have nothing to say to one another. Well, and then you have the Benedict Beatrice yeah. opposite end, right? Yeah. And it's it's very much uh, it's kind of telling that 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 the, the two are are held up as equals in the marriage scheme. Yeah. At the end of the day, but they but are they not, are not at, all at all in in the same. League. And I think that's why we're getting way off topic here, but. Um, in early productions, Hero and Claudio were given equal weight, and they are given equal weight, the storylines, to Benedict yeah. and Beatrice. But when you talk about Much Ado About Nothing, it's, yeah. it's the Benedict <laughs> and Beatrice show, right? Yes. Like, that's yeah. that's it. Yeah. So um, that, I think, is very telling in the way that um, our views about relationships have changed. Yes. Hero and Claudio... Yeah, the, good the, for them, they, but it's not. They're really not kind the of best. like a plot device. They they really yeah. don't have any characteristics of any mention. Yeah, they end um, up being um, they're a trope. They're yeah. they're they're not even a trope. They're just flat flat characters. They, yeah, they have they have the purpose um, there is to love each other and then not trust each archetypes. other. Archetypes. Yeah, thank it's you. An, sure. It's an archetypal relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, another example of of people lying. Don Pedro. Don Pedro, who is behind the central machinations of the mm. entire play. He's the one who gets everything going. He's like nobody should be left unmarried by the end of our month in Messina. Yeah. So we're gonna make Beatrice and Benedict fall in love with each other, and and he orchestrates the whole thing. But well, and I'm he, gonna woo yeah. Hero and then give her to to Claudia. Yeah, like it's it's all he is just full of of deception. Mm-hmm. It's not evil deception. No. He, it's good-natured deception, it which is. is the thing, but it's like, and then his brothers is the yeah. opposite, yeah. and the, they are two sides of, of Absolutely. the same coin, Foils to yes. one another in, Definitely. in a certain way. Um, yeah, so it's just, uh, it's interesting to me that the, that the lies and deception, um, nobody in the play has any real... Uh, self-awareness almost yeah. they're like they're and that that goes for most of Shakespeare's comedies there's just <laughs> a, there's just a tragic lack of self-awareness <laughs> these people are just so wrapped up in themselves in their navel gazing ways that they can't see the forest for the trees and yeah. and they miss a lot of things and in this play I mean there's no disaster um, when 
when Hero is accused of being unfaithful, she doesn't offer much of a spirited defense. Everybody, with the exception of of Beatrice and the other women, and eventually Benedict, um, well, eventually everybody who knows her rallies around her, but even her father casts her out, oh, right? Yeah. And uh, um, that that's the biggest tragedy, and it's not really a tragedy. It's just a tragedy that Don Pedro and Claudio think she's died. She's, she's been so wronged that she dropped dead upon yeah. the moment of her scandal being you know, or being victimized yeah. in this way. And of course, in death, she has to be mourned and loved and, yes. and respected and poor hero. But um, that's that's the biggest thing that happens. It's just, yeah, it's just interesting that the lies and deception, these these people are, are just so not aware of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a Shakespearean trope to have like, characters with no ability to problem solve yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah. othello is like the worst example it's like just ask your wife like i know and it, it does it else? really does hinge on no. communication yeah. we talked about this with romeo and juliet if they just talked to each other right or if they just waited yeah. five more minutes you know everything <laughs> would be fine but there's just there's an impetuousness there's an impulsiveness there's a, a lack of communication a lack of forethought and most of the time, I mean, I'm glad in this case that it doesn't lead to more tragedy, but, yeah. you know. Well, and it is interesting because, I mean, it's very telling that it is usually around uh, women's fidelity and mm-hmm. in Othello and this and a lot of other plays uh, where yeah. it's concerned about that. It's, you can't ask women because, again, women are liars. Uh, well, yeah. You know, like, I, this is the, the pre- uh, uh, loving Benedict, I would say. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, you know, he's just, he just does not trust women. He's uh, he's obsessed with being made a cuckold. And yes. And that's his greatest fear in life is not so much marriage and, and married life so yeah. much as being uh, stabbed in the back sexually, which is like such a crazy thing to think of. But, you know, like yeah. it is this obsession. And at the end of the day, it's that women can't be trusted. And that's the prevailing thought through all of Shakespeare's plays that concern fidelity is that women can't be trusted and that's just writ large on every single male character yeah. is that they they literally cannot have that conversation with their wives um, well, why and, and sorry i interrupted you yeah, no, no. why are women i mean we're going to get to this when we talk a little bit about gender and marriage but um maybe just i'm going to plant the seed and we can talk about yeah. it maybe a bit later why why yeah. <laughs> just why? why like is it Men are just as easily, in fact, you know, it, a, a man who's been cuckolded was cuckolded by another man, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Like, there's no, so, yeah. so why are, like, what is it about women that makes it so? I mean, I guess, I guess it all does come down to lineage, which is something we'll get into. You can't yeah, argue sure. that a, that a child is a woman's if she's birthing that child, but a man can't ever know, yeah, um, unless there's something really obvious about the child, yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> but it's it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting pathological preoccupation that men have in Shakespeare's plays with the fidelity of their marriages. Well, in Hamlet's even, yeah, like, he's obsessed with it too. Like, Othello. yeah, yeah, like there's just it's in every single Winter's yeah, it, Tale. It's it's very it's a very large concern. Let's yeah. just put it that way. It just it just world. it doesn't seem. I mean, we still do have issues with with cheating and you know, yeah. whatever in, in modern society, but it sure doesn't, I mean, when was the last time you heard somebody walking down the main drag a couple blocks away from our house here where all the bars are yelling about being cuckolded? You know, it's it's not a thing that people are that concerned about, you know? <laughs> Maybe because divorce is so much more readily... Well, I mean, prevalent. yeah, I mean, it's... 
Yeah, it, it, it's a different world. And we'll, we'll get into that yeah, a little I think bit so. on, but it, it is something to consider. Um, moving on, I think there's there's a, a theatrical, theatricality to it. I wrote theatricness somewhere. That's wow, not a word. Theatricality. <laughs> uh, performativeness, I wrote yes, as well. Okay, that's also um, there are so many characters, as we mentioned, who perform a version of reality mm-hmm. for an audience that doesn't know they're being performed to. Yes. So you have... Um, Claudio, uh, Don Pedro, and Leonardo. Leonardo, who are performing Beatrice's love for Benedict, for Benedict, who's <laughs> kind of waiting off stage. And you have yeah. Ursula and Hero doing the same, saying, oh, Benedict loves Beatrice yeah. so much. If she just wasn't so ornery all the time. Yeah. Um, you've got Margaret and Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Boraccio is his name, yeah. right? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, performing a, a sexual dalliance mm-hmm. for the benefit of claudio and don pedro yes and set don up john. by don yeah, john yeah. right it's all even don pedro performing love for hero in order to then sneak claudio in the back door right mm-hmm. i mean it's all performative it's all very well, that, theatrical well exactly and that's and that's interesting is that that is kind of the line between like a lot of the lies are are for performances sake yeah so it's 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 like we've broken them into two separate areas but they're really just one aspect of the same incidents which is um what are you going to believe like who do you believe and why yeah and all the only thing that the performances for the most part have uh in in common is that uh they're based around uh the word of the similar gender like beatrice believes uh, yeah, Ursula hero and, and hero. Ursula, yeah. and because uh, they're women, because they're women, and they, they, you know, they, they, they have my best interest at heart. Yeah, and, and she expresses it that way, yes. like they, or they do. They, they're like, well, we can't tell her because she's too shrewish and yeah. she'll never settle down, so we shouldn't even bother telling her, kind of thing. And you know, uh, Benedict is the same; he believes the men. Uh, Don Pedro believes Don John. It's just, it's, it's again, it's a very gendered kind of performance of the truth, and and yeah. who can create that truth? I think the one. That's interesting is is hero and don pedro don pedro wooing on right. behalf of claudio right um but even that one it's the 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 semblance for again claudio believes don john when he whispers in his ear oh yeah he's actually wooing for himself claudio yeah. instantly believes it yeah, and it's yeah. like what wh- wh- why 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 you just yeah. went to war with this dude why would he steal a, a you know your girl a, your girl who Again, in the '93 production, Kate Beckinsale looks like she's 12. Yeah. I swear, <laughs> she she aged very well. Denzel has no way. business going after her. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the actor who plays Claudio, I can never remember his name. He's very uh, recognizable from yeah, the 90s. Like, uh, Dead Poet Society. Yeah, I can't yeah, his I can't name. remember his name now. But um, you know, they're obviously a, a good match. And yeah. so, like, there's just there's this whole through line of um, the truth being gendered. And yes, that, and that's yes. that's a very strange kind of thing that that really isn't in all of the, in a lot of the other plays that are concerned with monogamy and and so forth. It's 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 much more fluid and and dynamic. Well, yeah, not who has the truth and who has knowledge and who's lying and who's manipulating. Yeah. Um, whereas here, it's it's it is. If really anything, kind of if anything, in in some of the other plays, there's there's um, kind of a public face and a private face, maybe. Yeah, where you'll have. 
you know, ladies in waiting talking to their mistresses. Mm-hmm. And that's where the truth can come out because yes. they're privately talking about these like things. The but in public, yeah. exactly. Yeah. In public, it's it's a different face. I'm going to pretend that I love Paris because yeah. it's the only way that I can get to my real love, which is Romeo. Yeah. And so the truth is, is hidden. Whereas in this case, it's almost like the truth is being manufactured. And we're going to get to that. That's our, I already have our ancient bickering picked out for today. Yes, yes. Um, because it, it does feel like there's something there's something to be said for the way that, that the stories are being manipulated here. Um, but it, you're right. It is interesting that it's it's more along gender lines, that, that women only believe women, men only believe men. And even we see that in, in um, Beatrice and Don Pedro when Don Pedro says, well, would you marry me kind of thing. And even yeah. that, like he's this – there's nothing wrong with Don Pedro. Yeah. He's he's an honorable man. He's, he's a good a general. He's yeah. a prince. <laughs> he's obviously fun-loving and has a, a good heart. But but Beatrice still, it's like, but you know, like you're you're too much of a man. You're mm-hmm. too fancy for me almost. And and there's there's, you know, it's it's you're a man. Like there, it's just separate. Like even even though what he speaks, I. I I don't have any reason to believe that he's lying to her when he says that he, you would make me happy if you, if you were my mm-hmm. wife kind of thing. Um, it's still gendered in a, in a way yeah. where it's like, I can't, I can't accept the words that you're saying yeah. because they're coming from you and you're a man. Yeah. And then it, which just makes it more interesting that uh, she trusts Benedict later on. Yeah. And it's. But that's because what she heard first was Ursula and yeah. Hero saying Benedict yeah. was this way. No, but, so. but, but you know, she does believe him at the end when he says he mm-hmm. loves her and, and stuff like there's there's something there. I mean, well, again, yeah, yeah. we'll get to that. But it is it's a it's a it's an interesting play that way. It is all about the gender. Benedict. It's not the only one also that features this kind of theatricality. I mean, we've talked about. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there are there are other where literally there's plays within plays, as in Hamlet or um, uh, Which one? Midsummer Night's Dream. Yep. Where there's like the play, this the the play that kind of underscores the themes mm-hmm. is there and presented. So I mean, it's 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 not as overt mm-hmm. in this play that there's performance within a performance, but it is still a fun little trope that Shakespeare likes to play with and worth mentioning, mm-hmm. I guess. If music be the food of love, play on. I, I would argue, Aiden, I don't know if you agree with me, that the two biggest themes in the play are related to marriage and gender. Would you agree or disagree? Well, yeah, again, that's what we've been talking okay, about great. so far. Excellent. Let's just keep going with it. I, I just I wrote it in my notes and I was like, I wrote it very authoritatively that there is a conflict. And I'm like, did, I, did we talk about this? Are we in agreement here? <laughs> this is, you know, the Bix. We are bickering. Yeah. We, we could disagree, I suppose. Sure. But, um, so let's talk about marriage. Marriage right. was the the secular default, right? It was considered deviant if you were not a priest or mm-hmm. not going into the priesthood or into a nunnery or whatever, that you would be married. Yeah. There, if, if you weren't, that was deviant, right? Um, but it was seen as kind of a, for much of the medieval period, it was seen as kind of a, a lesser state, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... It's the best you can get, but it's not as good as devoting yourself to God, yeah. right? Um, well, and that goes back all the way to the founding of the Catholic Church. They were like, yes. well, should we allow people to have babies even? Because yes. that's, yeah. you know, sex is such a sin that we should we allow them to have uh, have children at all? And it's like, well, if we don't... But the world must the be people. The world must be people, <laughs> as Benedict says. Yes. Right? So, um, but you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it's, it's a very Catholic way of thinking. And of course, um, in the early modern period, we 
we've got a um, the Reformation of the Church, and we've mm-hmm. got we're dealing with Protestantism, and for that 150 year period from 1550 to 1700, there's a massive change in the way that um, society is whole is being organized and marriage is still important and people are still marrying one another for land and for money and prestige and titles and the the lower classes typically always had more freedom than the upper classes Mm -hmm. did when it came to this they still do um but it's um we start to see that change here and i think that there's some anxiety in the culture that is being addressed in this play right that that you would have a woman like beatrice who is well hero for example start with hero because um she is her obviously the property of her father and that that property transfer to claudio has to be approved by leonardo first and beatrice does counsel her to um to tell her father uh, if it please me, not if it pleases you, mm-hmm. if it pleases me, I will marry Claudia, yeah. right? Which is a marked shift from yes. the way that Juliet, for example, is treated in, in Romeo and Juliet, yeah. right? So um, that, that the hero, I think, fills that more conservative role where it's still about her father, it's still about... Um, yes. seeking that permission to transfer yeah. t- title ownership of, of Hero of herself Hero, yeah. from her father to her husband. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a little bit of a a feminist spark yeah proto feminist yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah because I mean it is yeah there, there's hints of it that that she does have some agency in mm-hmm. who she chooses and the fact that she allows herself to be wooed by Don Pedro and then yeah. transferred over is very much in telling that no it's all done with permission exactly but. But it's still, it's still treating her as property. Yes. Uh, but a property with a voice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they, they do concern themselves with what she wants. Yes. Up to a point. Because sure. if she had wanted to sleep with someone else, that would obviously break all rules. Well, and, and as we see, even the mere hint that she slept with Rocky yes. the night before her yeah. wedding is, uh, is cause, you know, there's no proof. Hero utters no words. Um it's like she is just the whole thing is is hinged on somebody else's interpretation of events that he couldn't even see clearly enough yeah. and it's a very public display of of my of um my wounded pride yeah. my wounded uh yeah claudio has had his his pride wounded and so he is going to hurt hero and the all based on his word alone yeah. so she that that much is very traditional conservative mm-hmm. her value has been ruined yeah. because she's no longer um pure sexually pure and then on the other end you have margaret who right. is the one who's seen uh especially and it, this isn't explicit in the play it's not like explicitly they see them mm-hmm. doing it in the window it's just right. like there's a man who's yeah. in the window with them yeah. i think most productions probably through all of history yes. have featured them getting it on but um ostensibly uh you have margaret who's not married and mm-hmm. is, you know, doing Rocky. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the play, it's not like she's punished for that at all. In fact, no. she's kind of forgiven and she's like, oh, well, you didn't know that Don, Don John was up to no good and everything right. like that. And there's there's no, you know, besmirching her reputation or anything, no, you know. And, and Rocky comes out and, like, defends her. He's like, no, she had no idea what was going on. Right. This was just me. Uh, we've been, you know, together for a while is kind of mm-hmm. what's implied, right? Um, 
and so you have that and then you also have uh beatrice in the middle somewhere kind yeah. of where she hasn't maybe she has her and, yeah. and uh, benedict have have uh, had a relationship previously but even if they haven't um she is not a prim proper property woman no <laughs> you know she, well, is, she doesn't even have a father in the place she is yeah. she's leonardo's niece and he's the one who's kind of giving permission but it's not really because yeah. I don't, she, and I don't know is what her situation her would have been. Yeah, is around, not in, well, just not in this play. Yeah, because there's another uh, Antonio or Leonardo has an, uh, a brother Antonio. Yes, uh, who's not her father because right. then he supposedly has another daughter who's going to be who replaces Hero. Yeah. Anyways, it it is confusing like the whole lineage set up there, but he's not. He can't force her to marry. Is not the is not the sense I. No, get. there's there's nobody that has any sway over. Beatrice at all yeah like she is she is very free to make her own decisions because she's not tied to any filial uh, with the exception of that loose bond between Anise and her uncle right it's not the same as father and daughter well he might own her technically like if maybe but it sure doesn't seem it sure doesn't seem like there's there's as much concern given to that no because because he's not her lineage exactly, you know it, it's right it seems like that's still an important part in in the the business of ownership yeah very much yeah uh, is, and marriage as a business transaction is still yeah but it's changing and you can see how it's changing within this yeah. play just within these three characters and i wonder going back to margaret just briefly because she's a lower class sort of yeah woman. she's yeah. a working woman. Yeah, she's, she's serving, serving women or whatever yeah. um concerns about her um her fidelity or purity are not as important i think because of her status well and the fact that she doesn't have property she, yeah exactly her, right, right? Yeah. whereas hero is the only daughter is mentioned very clearly he only has hers as his so she's gonna inherit she's everything, gonna inherit everything so. if that's allowed but yeah. um or at least her husband will right yeah. so i mean that, that there's much more prestige in that um again we don't know about beatrice so all we know about beatrice is that she's she's hero's cousin leonardo's niece and she possesses this great intellect and this ability to spar and and match wits with benedict that that alone is enough to 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 judge her relationship with benedict as being um good a a freer yeah yeah, a more matched relationship um which would have been more allowable in this early modern period where people were given more freedom to choose their mates within mm-hmm. a certain construct. Now, of course, Benedict is a soldier and probably comes from a, a wealthy family and has money and prestige of his own. So they're probably of the same class. So there's not as much, um, there's not as much issue here mm-hmm. than if Margaret had wanted to marry Benedict or if yeah. Hero had wanted to marry Baracchio. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's all. Yeah. It's, 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 there are still, rules and and things being placed Mm -hmm. on these relationships but it does seem like it's not as it's definitely not as rigid as it was in the medieval period yes right and so the way that that this play deals with a lot of the same themes that we're going to see coming up in othello and and hamlet and other plays where um where your fidelity to your spouse or um the hints that you might not have been yeah, what's the word I'm looking Faithful. for? Faithful, thank you. Um, are taken much more seriously. And, yeah. and in those plays, they're tragedies and they have very steep consequences. I think just as we see today, when you have a large amount of social anxiety about a thing, it's the comedies that tend to help 
play that down a little bit yeah. maybe help Calmer. you explore it a little bit more calmly and safely yeah um it's why in the early 2000s you have, you know, Team America, World Police, that's trying to work through the burgeoning war on terror. Yeah. And that's what we remember. <laughs> like, the comedy of the early 2000s dealt very much with, with war on terror. I imagine the comedy of the early 2020s is going to deal with public health measures. <laughs> like, this is what, these, these are the anxieties we have now as a society, yeah. and comedies are going to be where those things um, come out. And, and I'm using the word comedy very loosely because obviously this is not the same kind of comedy, but it's it's a lighter it's lighter fare. So yeah. they're dealing with these changing social mores in a a much more lighter way in order to highlight the fact that maybe it's not so bad. Yeah. Maybe this is okay that Benedict and Beatrice, who are not being arranged except by Don Pedro. Yeah. Um they're they're going to be okay. Yeah. They're going to match wits. They they are clearly meant for each other. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. It's full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. The other thing I wanted to talk about with marriage is the idea of, of which we kind of talk, talked about already, is like cuckolding and mm-hmm. and that song, Sigh No More. Can we just talk about the song for a minute? Sure. I don't... Okay, I, I, I when I read it, I kind of skim over all the songs in Shakespeare. Really? Yeah, I don't really pay too much do you need, attention. Do you need to have it sung to you? Uh, absolutely not. But okay. I, well, I'm not I, going to <laughs> sing it. But I mean, it's it's it is in the film version as well. They open with it. Yeah, uh, same song we're talking yep. about, right? Yeah, and it's it's, a, it's what closes the play as well, and it's yeah. sung in the middle too. Yeah. Um, but it's it's uh, it's basically a song that says that. Don't worry, women. Men men have always been deceptive. Yes. Right? Just ignore it. It's fine. Um, convert all your sounds of woe into hey, nani, nani. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. Men are going to be dicks. <laughs> Just accept it and move on. Right? And it's mm-hmm. done in song. And, and it's interesting because... So, the idea that women are responsible purely 100% all the time for the cuckolding of their husbands yes is something that is spoken it's something that the men stand up and say yeah. benedict most clearly that um he won't marry because he doesn't he's so afraid of his wife cheating on him that he'll never even consent to marriage at yeah. all but in these these songs that are being presented it's the opposite it's that men have a role to play and women should just relax about it like it's not it's not a problem. You just keep going, right? Yeah. And For I think, the women, I think, yeah. But <laughs> it doesn't really address the the men's lack of... Uh, like, it's directed to the women to say, like, you're going to be judged. Like, it's a very patriarchal oh, kind of oh, reinforcing is. song, right? Which, it's is, like, which is why yeah. it's... Uh, I think... Do you do you think? Let me phrase it this way: Do you think that this song could be seen as satirical? Again, I didn't read the lyrics closely. Okay. <laughs> but here but, I have I, I have the lyrics yes. here, so you can I read them say, over real quick. Yes, you, you you could definitely read it that way. And I think I think um, if you had in in the Kenneth Branagh film version, the song is played straight. It's played when Emma Thompson reads the lyrics. It opens, it's a very bucolic, idyllic, um, 
you know, pastoral setting. They're all lounging around eating grapes. It's it's like it's it's very Grecian. It's mm-hmm. which is ironic considering it's Italy, but um, <laughs> it feels very yeah pastoral, right? Yeah. And at the end, they're all dancing in this. You know, they're all dancing together and the song is being played and it's lovely. In the middle, the song is played beautifully. It's played, you know, the guy strumming a lyre or something mm-hmm. and just singing. If the in the text, I think it's Benedict who says during that scene when in the middle, when which is the only time in the play that it's presented. The song yeah. is just yeah, presented shown, once. Yeah, it's yeah. it's used in the film yeah. that we watched yeah. to bookend the film. Yeah which is an odd choice, but that's, we can talk about Kenneth Brown if you want in a minute. Um, Benedict says that uh, something, he compares the singer to like the sound of a dog howling. Yeah. Right. If that's true. Okay. Either Benedict hears this beautiful song and just can't because I can't even, because it's about love and I don't want to hear it. Or the guy is singing so off key because the music is discordant. The, the, the sentiment is discordant. Yes, yes. Right? So if you played it that way, then that message is undercut, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, it's the patriarchal message that if you take it from the page only, yeah. is, is undercut completely by how not pretty the song is. Yeah. Right? Is that something that, it's something I could definitely see see Shakespeare doing. I, yeah, I, I think that I think Benedict's comment is is very telling in that this the play is kind of of two minds. It, it very much reinforces the patriarchy by mm-hmm. you know having this you know by judging the women constantly based on purely on their fidelity, right? Um, but then it the, the only cuckolds in the story are the men who believe lies. Yeah, and Claudio is the worst cuckold because he's been cuckolded by Don Don John yeah, twice. Yeah, all the time. You know? So he's just so gullible. He's so gullible. He's such an idiot. So it, the the play is kind of uh, split between like supporting the the kind of traditional patriarchal view of women mm-hmm. and then making fun of the men who continue, buy into who that, buy into that yeah. and and do that um, and support it and and uh, are fooled by it. Yeah, and they are really fooled by it. They they really cannot get over it except for benedict and i think the fact that his character turns into a defender of hero at the end is is really kind of important because he is kind of the transitional character Mm -hmm. he's the one who's moving from this you can't trust women uh they're they're property and you should never fall in love or or get they're only gonna hurt you they're only gonna hurt you to you know what it's worth getting hurt because i i love this woman and, and I will. Her, I yeah. and I will. I'll defend. do anything except kill Claudio. But even or, then, he offers to do it. <laughs> yeah, right? So true. like, you know, yeah. he he does really transforms, and yeah. I think that's kind of indicative of the times that yes, Shakespeare was in. Yeah, and because Benedict is is the the character, he's mm-hmm. the one. He has the most lines. He's well, I don't know. Actually, in yeah, terms of pure volume, Benedict and Beatrice yeah, are probably split. close. Yeah, yeah. But um, but they are the central ideal here Mm -hmm. and he especially the fact that he is so quickly able to move from one to the other either shows that he doesn't have any close moral convictions yeah at all to either side which i think is probably not true because yeah he he does seem to be fairly set in his ways and something changes him right so i think it's more likely that you're right he he comes to realize that that he's been unfair Mm mm-hmm how, how that happens, we'll get to in our ancient bickerings, I think. 
in in a minute because we've got one more topic to talk about, which is gender. And I think gender, as we've already talked about, lying and theatricality being gendered, truth being gendered. um, The play is misogynistic and anti-feminist on one hand, which is a weird thing to call um, a Shakespearean play because feminism didn't exist. It's not like it was explicitly written to be anti-feminist. That's a dumb thing to say. (laughs) But but you can see it as being anti-woman in a certain sense. But very patriarchal. Let's just very, put it yeah, it is. Yeah. It it upholds the patriarchy even as it kind of chips away at the ideas that, yeah. um, which is what Benedict the role that Benedict seems to play, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. So so the idea tying back into marriage shifting from this Catholic um, ideal of transferring power and lineage through um, an unbroken line of fathers and children. Um, where women are literally just they're they're there to birth babies right mm-hmm. um and that much hasn't changed but i think you've got an idea of women as as being capable of um affection and deserving of affection mm-hmm. and uh there's an egalitarian quality to that that comes yes. through. Yes. Um, that would not have been possible a hundred years earlier than yeah. when this play was oh, written, not even close. and is expected four hundred years later. Yeah. In the romantic comedies or or yeah. relations between consenting adults now, right? Yeah. That uh, that there needs to be consent before marriage can happen, and that's mm-hmm. something that is is being kind of highlighted here yeah right i mean it's in a lot of shakespeare's plays i mean the there's the fact that juliet will not marry paris mm-hmm. and chooses instead to marry romeo and then after she's married him won't marry paris again you know like they're, right, they're, but she's punished for that she is absolutely but right? it, but it is um th- those concepts at least are yeah. there those constructs of like and technically those were always there even in catholic you know, middle ages and stuff, women could theoretically decline yes. in marriage and stuff. Yes. Um, yes. But here it was like, they were starting to actually act on some of this yeah. stuff. And I mean, the fact that again, they had a queen who had refused marriage exactly. uh, for the last 30 years, you right. know, it was, it was a big deal, you know? So like this was, this was something that was coming of age in this time. And Beatrice and Benedict really do kind of carry the load of expressing this new way of mm-hmm. looking at, at love and marriage and choice mm-hmm. and, uh, heroes again the opposite end. We yeah kind of discussed yeah i think um the, talking about beatrice and hero is an interesting way to look at women in the play because they are the two most prominent women and um hero is sort of punished for nothing really <laughs> she's punished for rumor yeah yeah which is unfortunate um but not something that's wholly unexpected when yeah. it comes to any any kind of conversation around a f- woman's sexual uh past it's it's all going to be unless you were in the room where it happened yes cue your hamilton Uh, no no No? okay (laughs) unless you were there you can't tell if a woman had you know if this was her losing her virginity or if she slept with this guy it's her word versus somebody else's always right so none of these charges were ever anything more than spurious right um but it's just so much more clear in hero's case because she is so pure and i mean literally named her hero i mean it's kind of but um so so yeah she is kind of punished for this and proven right very mm-hmm. similar to the way that oh i'm blanking on her name in the winter's tale yes the the mother yeah right yeah. um don't bother i can't even it's it's gone it's gone uh yeah so 
but on the flip side of that, uh, Beatrice is much more um, forceful in her views. Another play, a different play, a different set of, you know, if she were Desdemona, she'd be punished. If she were um, Ophelia, she'd be punished. Mm -hmm. But in this play, she's not. She is rewarded with with marriage yes but also with the trust of the central male mm-hmm. figure who joins her team and they they form a united front yeah. to help her cousin restore her her honor yeah. and it's like that is so unique that is so cool it's it's like she is so there's these two kind of two sides of of elizabethan womanhood i guess being presented in this play yeah um is Beatrice, Aiden, do you think Beatrice being held up as, like, the ideal? Is Hero the ideal? Oh, Hero is definitely the ideal. Okay. Because she's silent, chaste, and obedient. Yes, like that, okay. that is literally okay. the ideal. But I think the fact that Beatrice is the one who steals the show kind of shows where Shakespeare's mind is going. And whether Shakespeare was a barometer for the whole of England in this yeah, time, yeah. it's hard to say. But yeah. um, definitely, you can tell where his love lied. It was with uh, with Beatrice, absolutely. Yeah, just like you. Oh, yeah. Love lies with Beatrice. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine people leaving the theater, like a husband and wife team is like, I'm the wife just, you know, I'm going to be more like Beatrice. And the husband like, shit, yes. God damn it. Why couldn't we have gone to see Hamlet instead? <laughs> why couldn't we have seen The Taming of the Shrew again? You know? <laughs> exactly. She didn't do this about Kate. <laughs> um, yeah, because it, she does seem to be kind of a... Um, yeah, maybe not a barometer for the entire thinking of the entire Elizabethan society, but certainly an indication of where things were going, mm-hmm. I think. And the fact that her character is so beloved throughout the yeah. last couple hundred years has kind of shown that that she has staying power in the sense that she is, again, it's it's one of the few plays. I mean, I've, I've kind of mentioned Portia from Merchant of Venice, but when we read that play again, it's, yeah, it, it's it not as strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not aged quite as well, yeah. even just in the last 20 years since I read it as a teenager, right? Yeah. Whereas this is still like, yeah, Beatrice and Benedict are always going to be this. It's, it feels this very modern, pair. doesn't yeah. it? Like they, yeah. they feel like a much more possibly the most modern pairing. Yeah, I that I can think of. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that I think is is part well, of why they're so... On our own poll on Twitter, Lindsay. I know, we, this is we, true. We automatically We led the that, question, though, yes. didn't we? Well, but it's true. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, but it's... I think most people agree. Beatrice Mendick or yeah. OTP, maybe. OTP, yes. The, the one true pairing that we should all aspire to. If I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. So this week's Ancient Bickerings uh, is a question. Lindsay, I'm going to let you ask it because you wrote it down. I did. It was yours. Uh, I do have an answer prepared this time. You do? Good. I'm going to let you go first then because I could go either way on this one. But um, are Beatrice and Benedict truly in love or is it some kind of ruse? And to put it more simply, does the deception used to bring them together reveal their existing love for one another or create it whole cloth? The answer is very obviously reveal the love that they've already oh. had. The love is there on the on the page and on screen and on every stage. As soon as they start trading barbs, there is no way these two characters have not already fallen in love with each other and have just been fighting it off because neither of them wants to commit to the recklessly stupid uh, institution of marriage, which I totally get yes. <laughs> to this day. Yes. Um, but the love is definitely there. I think you just it's it's 
It's the speed at which they do it. I mean, I've only seen this version uh, two or three times now, and I think we saw it once uh, performed uh, locally. Maybe. Um, Probably. Yeah, I think so. Uh, And it was... And in all of those, it's very clear that these two have have a history. They have a shared love and a shared interest. Um, And the fact that all it takes is like literally like, oh, I heard she loves Benedict. And then to Beatrice, oh, I heard he loves Beatrice. That's all it takes. It takes nothing. There's like the least amount of prodding imaginable. I mean, you can't. I mean, Shakespeare obviously turns love on a dime in every single one of his plays where romance happens. But uh, this one feels more real than the other ones because you you can imagine that it's always been there underneath. And I will fight you about this till the day we die, Lindsay. So, really? Yeah, so come on, hit me with the, well, the I wrong think, answer. I think you already said it yourself, that Shakespeare can turn love on a dime. And, and that's... That, the fact, coupled with the fact that this play is so concerned with lies and deception and is and uses the theatricality of those two scenes that you mentioned to um, deliver the love into the plot, right? I think that's that's enough to say that this is manufactured. It's not it's not like it, and I don't say that to mean that it's not true. Okay. okay. I think it's I think it's kind of like just a more creative way of arranging a marriage. I think arranged <laughs> marriages can be very fulfilling and loving. Sure. Um, and and meeting of the minds can fall apart very quickly. Yeah. As you threaten quite often during this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to divorce you. Um, but I think this is just another way of of creating love from two people who are clearly very well matched and who will probably lead a very happy, fulfilled love, life, marriage till the end of their days, till death do them part. Or two years later, as it was the case in Well yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yes, we're still not over (laughs) Kenneth Branagh leaving Emma Thompson for Helena Bonham Carter. But it was thirty years ago. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I lost my train of thought, but I think that's that's <laughs> the the main point is is what I've said that this is it's it's not that they that they aren't good for each other. It's just that that love wasn't there before the suggestion was planted well, in their minds. Okay, okay. It's like okay. it's like it's okay. like Macbeth well, deciding that he's going to become, become king, king because Lady the Macbeth says you should become king. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's and post-hypnotic suggestion. No, not hypnotic. Just, just, well, just. What is love, baby? baby don't hurt don't me. Hurt. <laughs> what is love? Because, like, Great no, question. legitimately, yeah. like, uh, you know, is it is it an affection and an enjoyment of each other's time? Is that all it takes? Because then they obviously have that. Is it uh, a sexual attraction? Is that required for love? Like, what? I mean. English is kind of a bad language for this. You were you were saying the other yeah, day the Greeks, the Greeks had, had like, like seven or eight or a, yeah, nine different types of love. Exactly, different words for the different types of love that exist. English, you get love, baby. It's just all of it. It's Jesus loves you all the way My down. My mother to, loves me. Yeah, to like I. I love her once. Harry Styles. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Right? That's a much better example. <laughs> uh, but you know, like there's there's a spectrum of love, and to think that there's. It's some sort of emotional entanglement. Let's call it that. There's there's something you feel for another human being. I think they felt the same thing they've always been feeling. But, but, and then they were told mm. it's love. And they're like, yeah, shit, it is love. 
because is she fair? Yeah. You know, is, is her hair the right color? Well, that's whatever got, you know, it's, they're, they're open to it. They, they each describe their perfect partner and they are both exactly who they are uh, before they admit that that person already exists and is in their life. So, but, but, but but? you asked what love is and there is, there is, don't hurt me. Um, There's a a good conversation that I saw. It was either on Twitter or on Tumblr, but it was screenshotted from Twitter where somebody was like in their, their, it was a sociology class or psychology class. And the professor asked them, is love a feeling or a choice? And all the young people in the room were like, no, it's a feeling. It's totally a feeling. And all the people who've been married for 30 years were like, it's a choice that you make every day. You choose to stay in love. Love, uh, when it comes to the kind of love that would last, mm-hmm. is a choice that's being made. And I think that's what uh, Beatrice and Benedict are doing. They're choosing love. They're choosing mm. to go for that because the suggestion has been planted. I don't think, it's not to discount this, the fact that, that there might have been affection, a feeling of love. That could be interpreted as love. Yeah. But the choice to act on it is what they have. I think that's that's uh. what's that's what's happening. And that's why I think the fact that they are so equally matched means that they will probably continue to choose that love. I I fully expect that Beatrice and Benedict lived a very long, happy life together with many children, and they they died holding hands watching <laughs> EastEnders in their palatial northern italy apartment circa 1400 but um, the uh okay but i think i think that that is um it's still a choice and i think that that choice is being informed by suggestions of others to put that in front of them and say "Eh, what do you think what do you think because everybody else can see it no but they can't okay so they can't see it doesn't mean it's not there but i think that <laughs> I, it doesn't mean that it is there. Evidence of absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, yeah. right? So it's okay. not. It's not that that it's. It doesn't matter. They're still. They could have made that choice on their own. They didn't. They needed the suggestion. The suggestion is what planted it and what led to them coming together. I'll, grant, I'll grant you. I'll grant you that Thank the you. suggestion did lead to the ultimate outcome. Would the outcome have happened without the suggestion at some point? Probably yes, because they were meant for each other, Lindsay. And you can't disprove that either. No, I no, but you can't prove it either. Uh, it's like well, God. Uh, you can't the, prove uh, or disprove uh, God. Uh, the, we call it a draw? I don't know. Sure. Why not? Yes. Okay. Because I felt like I was losing. So I, <laughs> I snatched a stalemate from the jaws of defeat. There's a little Hamilton That's reference. That's another little yeah. Hamilton. I love it. Now, another one that I was going to bring up but didn't was... Right. Uh, Raise a glass to freedom. <laughs> yes, that was something you will never again. <laughs> yes, I love it. We could have done that. We could have. We'll did. have to do a Hamilton episode sometime. We should at some point. Yeah. Once we're done with Shakespeare in the next ten years from now. Yeah. Speaking, Speaking of, which, yes, what's the next play? Well, no, the next. Uh, topic uh, oh yeah, the next we topic have. we're doing uh, Shakespeare on film. Yeah, um, we, we haven't quite figured out exactly how we want to approach this one. We might wind up doing Shakespeare in foreign film, perhaps. Or... I think that's an interesting take, just because. We we've seen a few different foreign films. We watched the Spray of Cherry Blossoms. I think it was Plum called Blossoms, Plum yeah. Blossoms. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, which was uh, two, gentlemen two gentlemen of Verona. Of Verona. That yeah. was from 
1936 uh, 19... or something like yeah. 33 or something yeah. like that. It was before the war, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, there's that. I mean, we've seen Kurosawa's uh, Macbeth, yes. which I always forget the name of. Yep. Um, I can't wait to watch Ran. Uh, Rain or Ran? I don't remember yeah. now. Uh, his, his King Lear uh, is apparently quite intense. There's a couple of uh, Bollywood productions yes. that I think would be really fascinating to watch as well. Yeah, and... so we might do a smattering of foreign ones and come back and, and talk about that. I mean, we 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 kind of timed it poorly because we did have uh james from the shakespeare on film podcast yes. on just recently yes um so maybe we'll maybe we'll call him back for for a later episode if we revisit the topic but um yeah we, we're we're looking forward to that one for yeah. sure yeah and then uh following that we're uh we're diving right back into falstaff with uh, the married wives of windsor yes and uh and all the east cheat gang from yeah. and then right after that it's henry v again so yeah. we're we took this nice little light break yeah you know for the the middle of august we're having our midsummer um comedy fix i guess <laughs> yeah with, i would suppose so. with um this and then the merry wives of windsor and then uh and then yeah moving back into some of the more heavier stuff we're getting to some of the good ones we I know we keep saying that but but the really famous plays the henry v well hamlet's coming right up julius caesar is right after henry v yeah. Yeah. uh yeah hamlet twelfth night yeah. Othello, yeah, Lear, they're all yeah, they're, they're all, all coming up here. So um, it's all of the things that we keep saying this, <laughs> but it's all leading to something. And I think that's the great thing about looking at Shakespeare the way that we have done. Again, keep saying that too. I'm just glad we're doing this. Yeah. This is a lot been, of fun. It's been great. But anyway, thank you all for joining us today. And uh, we we're looking forward to chatting with you about Shakespeare on film um, with our next episode. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.